0: Hi, and welcome to episode 229 of the Untethered podcast. Today we have Karin Johnson Fernandez joining us and Dr. Hope Reyes as well. Karin is the owner of Food is Fun Let's Eat. She's been a pediatric occupational therapist since 2010, working with many families over the years. She's realized two things, one, Eating and family mealtime are a huge part of our daily lives, which creates connection to those around us. And two, as a mom of a picky eater, her love for exploring, enjoying, and sharing a balance of tasty and nutritious food and mealtimes continues to grow. These two areas combined led her to specialize in feeding therapy in order to help families feel more comfortable, connected, and successful with mealtime in their home and the community. She's taken a lot of courses to further educate herself in learning about sensory and oral motor difficulties, tethered oral tissues, breast and bottle feeding in infants as a certified breastfeeding specialist, food progression, and overall pediatric feeding difficulties. She also enjoys values and finds it helpful to collaborate with other like-minded healthcare professionals to ensure she's working with all disciplines of a child's team in order to provide the best quality care. In her spare time, she enjoys spending time with her family, trying new foods, cooking, and traveling to new places to make adventurous memories. Dr. Hope Reyes is a licensed doctor of physical therapy and founder of Moving Munchkins. She's a pediatric physical therapist and certified breastfeeding specialist as well. She services patients birth to 12 years of age. Dr. Hope completed her undergraduate studies at the University of Arizona with a major in physiology and minor in chemistry. She then went to obtain her doctorate in physical therapy at the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences in San Diego, California, graduating with high honors. It's her extensive background in dance and love for everything Disney that gives her the ability to make movement fun for all her patients and families that she services. Dr. Hope is most passionate about educating parents so they feel confident to promote their child's physical strength and independence in movement. This passion to start her own practice, moving munchkins. Dr. Hope provides physical therapy services with developmental delay, torticollis, plagiocephaly, complex medical diagnoses, and feeding difficulties. She believes that infant feeding is a whole body function and collaborative care is essential for safe and effective feeding. When Dr. Hope is not working, she enjoys staying active and spending time with her husband, Aaron, Furchild Lily, and daughter, Brielle. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified myofunctional therapist, feeding specialist, podcaster, business owner, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, airway, tethered oral tissue, and pediatric feeding therapy space. If you're new here, I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to spread this message far and wide. If you've been around since June 2019, thanks for being a loyal listener. As we jump into today's episode, remember to listen with correct Coral rest posture. Tongue up, lips closed, teeth apart, breathe through your nose. Let's get started. SLPs and OTs, if you're listening to this between August 21st to 25th, 2023, we are currently doing our free five-day training on how to screen your first pediatric feeding patient. I supply the patients and the screening tool. You just show up and you will get an amazing training. I'm giving away so much information for free and you'll also get a certificate of completion with five hours on it for free at the end of the five days together. The recordings will be up until August 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern time, but they will promptly come down because they get moved into a portal as a bonus for everyone who enrolls in our 12-week feeding course, our Feed the Pete's feeding course, that doors will open to on August 28th at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Now, if you want to be a VIP and get early access, you're going to want to participate in the free training. And that's all I'll say about that. But aside from that, we're also giving away five full scholarships to Feed the beads, our 12-week course. If you want to be eligible to enter into one of those scholarships, you have to participate this week. Participation is required. That's number one. Number two, we're also giving away, uh, two of those will be needs-based. So for those of you who are hoping for a needs-based scholarship, you do still have to participate, but all of those details will be coming your way when you register at feedthepeets.com backslash training. I cannot wait to see you in there. I absolutely love doing this training. I only do it three times a year. This is the last time we're doing it this year and it will be about five months before I do the next one. So if you're hoping to get a scholarship or you're hoping to join this free training, now is the time. Go to feedthepeets.com backslash training and I'll see you in there. Heart and hope I am so excited to have you guys here on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for
1: having us. We're having yeah. us. We're definitely excited to chat with you and yeah. together and share what we've been doing. Yeah.
0: Well, I feel like I've had a little bit of like insight into what you guys do because you were so gracious and recorded, you know, some therapy for us to share with our Feed the Peds alumni. And I mean, I can speak to what I saw. Basically, you guys work so beautifully together as an OT and a PT in a very specialized space. So I would love if we can like jump into that and you can share with us a little bit about how this like beautiful relationship and co-treatment model came together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll kind of start. Um, So I've been a pediatric uh, physical therapist for 10 years, worked in various clinics in San Diego um, and Karin and I worked at the same clinic. And so we met back in 2015 and there was a lot of really great collaboration at that place. And so there was a lot of co-treats. And so between me and like a few of the feeding therapists, including Karin there, we started doing a lot of co-treats and I got really like, interested in how postural control can help with feeding and obviously fine motor and all that the other things that you know the ot's were working on but specifically we had a really strong feeding team there these were like more medically complex kids and um at the time and you know toddlers and older so they weren't infants yet but then as the years were going on I kept asking my, my infants coming in with torticollis, like they all had feeding issues, like all of them. And then on the intake form, I would see tongue tie release. And I'm like, what is happening with my torticollis babies? Like, why are they all, you know, oh, breastfeeding didn't work out or, oh, we struggled a lot with breastfeeding and you know, all these things. And so I started asking the feeding therapist, can you guys start being infants? Like, can you help these infants? Because why are they all struggling? And so that's where it all began, I think, for us to really realize like, oh, like the PT part of it and then the oral motor part of it have to go together. And so then we kind of started sharing infants then and then COVID hit and then I left the clinic <laughs> and then I opened my own practice and then I'll let Karen take over because then she opened her own practice and then we kind of like got back together and started collaborating more, um, but it's like more specifically on like zero to three. Um, age and population, and a little bit more on like the wellness side, if you will, like not always medically complex um, kiddos. Um, So yeah, you want to talk about that?
2: Yeah. So we've known each other for years. Yeah. Um, and I do love Hope. She's so fun to work with. And Sometimes like- I call
1: Karen my mom, she like always feeds me. She's I like, this know, so snack so- lady. <laughs> um,
2: I do love to eat, which is why I think I found my passion with feeding therapy because I want everyone to eat and be happy and enjoy and be able to be with their family at mealtimes or, you know, social situations. But um yeah so we did start back in the clinic years ago treating co-treating um and that's kind of where I started to zero in on wanting to just work with mainly feeding the feeding population so I saw you know the infants all the way up through middle school um and quickly learned that I like the little ones better mm-hmm. um <laughs> <Me> so <too. laughs> yeah So like Hope said, she left when COVID hit. I stayed on a year longer and then I decided, you know, I think I just can't give as much of myself as I want to in the clinic. My hands were kind of tied. My sessions were, you know, an hour long, but I always felt rushed to tell the parents about homework and home program at the end. And I felt like it just, there was something missing Um, And at that point I had my swallow certificate and I felt like I was at a point in my career where I was comfortable enough to say, okay, I think I can do this on my own. There are therapists out there that I can touch base with if I have questions, but I feel like I've had enough guidance and support here at the clinic that I'm ready to leave and do this on my own. So with that being said, (laughs) I was nervous as all heck Um, and I to myself, well, I'm going to send some blind emails out to pediatricians, local pediatric dentists, and just say, my name is Karin. This is what I do. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. Um, I'd love to meet up with you, Uh, blah, blah, blah. And some wrote back, some did not. Um, And so to this day now, I'm still collaborating with a handful of them, um, which is great. And yes, once I did go out on my own and did start collaborating with those local providers, I was like, okay, I need hope back in the picture in my hour session of feeding takes, you know, depending on the age of the child, doesn't matter. Infant all the way to three. It's a lot, the intake, you know, on an eval, um, if the baby's not ready to feed right away, then we do something else first. Or if it's a toddler and they're running from me, you know, it just takes a a while to build rapport. So, um, I feel like I was able to give more of myself and, you know, have hope come into the picture and do the body work piece as she mentioned, because it is all tied together and feeding is a whole body, uh, activity.
1: That's, that's kind of our, our motto is yeah. feeding is a whole body activity. And that's why the bodywork piece plus the oral motor piece like works so well together. Yeah. Yeah. So that's
2: how we came up with our collaborative, yeah. uh, sessions here. We do a lot of co evals, co treats, overlapping treats, mm-hmm. um, which is also super helpful for families to minimize appointments and, you know, length of sessions back to back.
1: Yeah. Um, You get that newly postpartum mom and it's like, they're running around town to, you know, the release provider. And then they're seeing IBCLC, you know, lactation, and then they're seeing us. And it's like, you know, having them come to one place. We also have a fabulous um, IBCLC here, who's also a nurse practitioner. So she is like awesome. And, you know, the family can go from her room and just walk right over to our door and get all their questions answered and get some good homework and things like that. So it's really kind of a one-stop shop here at Love Strong, which is awesome that we found like our people. Um, we always talk about how like we didn't feel like we fit in until we kind of entered the space. And I feel like I hear that a lot from, you know, different providers that treat oral tissues and are in the airway space. We didn't, I I always felt like I treated different. You know, I, I was doing manual skills on a five-year-old and some of my pediatric, you know, colleagues, PTs were like, what are you doing? Like, why? I'm like, but my hands, like they tell me what's Mm -hmm. happening. You know, it's not always just watching the movement patterns. So, um, anyway, once I kind of got into this space, I'm like, oh, these people get me. (laughs) So important. I mean, I feel like
0: That's, you know, we talk so much about how, like, this is not taught in graduate school programs or doctorate programs. This is not something that is like spoon fed to us. We are literally doing hours of, you know, investing time, energy, money into learning this specialty and then as you work, you know, with all the patients over the years, you start to kind of go like, oh, okay, like this makes sense. Why did anybody teach me this? You know? And, yeah. but then it's like on the flip side, finding the providers, like you said, who get it, who yeah. don't look at you like you have five heads yeah, mm-hmm. actually will like listen to the patients and go like, huh, I don't know how to help you, but go see these people, you know, it's just, just having those referral sources. And then also like, the you guys have this amazing setup with someone down the, you know, right down, I don't know if it's a hallway or what it is a couple doors down from you that also supports the patients and comes from that same educational background and understanding of the full body involvement. I mean, it's so hard to find even still today, but it's so critical. And, and that's one of the reasons why like we've tried, we, we've stayed a um, home-based service because of exactly what you said. Like we want, to make the weekly appointment, since we're an ongoing therapy, like for you guys, everything's in one place. So it's so much easier for the families for us. We were like, well, we'll just travel to them and go to their homes, which has worked for us. And, you know, I think when we really put the family at the forefront, Mm -hmm. I think that also just, it changes the entire experience with the care that you give. Mm -hmm. And I think families are, you know, their nervous systems are a little bit more at ease Well, Mm -hmm. they're not so at ease when they walk in the door. Right. You know, it's like, it just, there's little things that we can do to make it easier for them, for them to then I think have higher levels of success with the work that you're doing. So I love that again, you guys got like OT and PT, and you've covered the feeding realm. You've got the breastfeeding side of things. You know, you know, um, I think um Karin, you have you're also a CBS, right? You have the breastfeeding credentials too. We both are yeah. both do. Okay. Yeah. You both do. Yeah. yeah. So I mean it's really nice that you guys also have that understanding, but still collaborate with an IBCLC. Oh, too. Yeah. We you know,
1: never, we never tend uh, to treat yeah. the whole yeah. Diet to it. that that goes real deep real quick. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, IBCLC to like support that because we can give little tips and tricks, but it's really just to understand where the IBCLC is coming from too. So just mm-hmm. that little bit of knowledge was pretty helpful, but.
2: And have families know that we do have some training and background in that, but that we also do yes. Collaborate with IBCLC. We are fortunate enough here at Love Strong Wellness, um, to have that IBCLC amongst other pre and postpartum providers, chiropractor, Mm -hmm. acupuncture, biofeedback, um, pelvic health. So it is wonderful that we can, you know, collaborate here. We hope and I also do home visits as well. So if that is something that the family is needing um, and it's within a certain radius, then we do honor that and we will, we do offer, individual and co evals in the home. If it's within a certain distance, um, just to, again, minimize, and some parents are a little bit more fragile, especially in the infant phase Mm -hmm. and, um, need more support. And so we are, we're pretty flexible. Yeah. We're pretty flexible. And, um, I wish I had this support when I was pregnant 11 years ago. Yeah. Me too.
1: (laughs) Every time you talk about your daughters, I'm like, me too, me too. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know that my daughter, I was told that she has a tongue tie and a lip tie when she was born. She's four now. Um, but then I was told, Oh, she's just going to fall and bust it. You know, I was told by lactation, every baby has a favorite side. And I'm looking at my baby who was born like this, which was so so tight on her right side. I'm like, I know why she has a favorite side, (laughs) but what's happening here. I don't know this. Um, so anyway, now here we are in an expansion and planning for, um, a release next year, hopefully with a uh, little star breathe with Dr. Hanenbosch. So we're going to get there one day. It's a journey. And it's, it's like, I always say,
0: it's like a blessing and a curse all at the same time. So it's like, when you know what, you know, like, you know, too much, you're just like, yeah. Oh
1: my gosh. Like I can't unsee it on my own kid. And also now I can't yes. not
0: do anything about
1: it. Well, <laughs> you know? I'm pretty sure that my daughter's myofunctional therapist is so annoyed with getting pictures and videos of her sleeping with her mouth open. I'm like, help. She's like, we're working on it. I'm like, but well, look at this dog posture when she's sleeping. And, you know, I've even texted, you know, Dr. Hunnenbosch. I'm like, that release really can't come any soon. Like, please, like, when can we do this? You know, I'm like so anxious to do it because I just see her with her mouth open. I'm like, ah, yeah. Oh, and what I mean,
2: it's mouth. so hard to therapy your own child. So both of us. And all our, our kids. I have two girls, and Hope has her daughter. But yeah. we have all, um, you know, outsourced other therapists. Oh, yeah. you, it's very hard to therapy therapize your own child. Um, so we are, yeah, we're on the journey with our kids too. Yeah, it's been great.
1: <laughs> and it definitely <laughs> it gives another perspective. Yeah. You know, like like when I when I connect with families, I'm like, oh, at 34 years old, I got my tongue tie released, and their jaws are like, what? Yeah, this I'm isn't sure. just for babies, you know? I'm like oh yeah. I was like, but it's a journey. Like, you know, there's a lot of therapy involved. And so they're always like shocked to hear that. So it's always kind of like fun fact, you know,
2: where <laughs> the light bulb goes on. You're treating, yeah. you know, a three week old infant oh. and you're listing off some of the things that could present later on in life. And the mom or dad in the session will just, their eyes just, gonna...
1: they're like, that's me. Uh, Do I have tongue tongue? Tongue? I'm Do like, uh, You know, and they're showing me their tongue. I'm like, uh, I, I can't die. I and don't know. <laughs> I always,
2: yeah. We always say, Oh, it's, it's a rabbit hole. You're going to, it's a rabbit hole. You're going to go down, but it's a good one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so, it happens so often. And those, especially <laughs> in evals or like, you know, the parents saying, they're kind of like, like you said, the light bulbs are going off and they're always like, wait, look under my tongue. I'm like, that's, okay, but it's not that easy. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yes, probably based on what you're telling me, but also you need an email. So yes, yeah, yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. yeah see so <laughs> will you tell us a little bit about like your initial evaluation process so that others can understand like
1: how you work together and you know what that might look like? Yeah. So, you know, when we book an initial co-evaluation is what we call it with both of us here, it's usually about an hour and a half. So it's kind of a long time, but You know, it's worth it for the parents because otherwise it would be two separate hours. And as a PT, I love it if the baby's awake for some portion of um, the evaluation and it's just not possible. Like two hours is like a whole sleep feeding wake cycle (laughs) in an infant. So it is nice to combine it and have it be, you know, just the hour and a half. Um, But basically we kind of go off of what the baby schedule is. So mom comes in and we tell them like, oh, you can hold baby, you know, Um, let us know when they're ready to feed. So we always tell them ahead of time, we need to see a feeding if at all possible, whether it's breast bottle or solids um, during our time together. So if we can finagle that time-wise or, you know, so sometimes we'll start with like the body work piece. Sometimes we start right away with feeding. And so when we were talking the other day, it's just so nice to have, you know, two brains watching the feed. We both see very different things when the feed is happening. So we're watching, you know, breastfeeding bottle feeding. And I'm like, Oh, did you see, you know, the posture here, did you see the shoulder retraction? Or did you see, you know, and she's like, Oh yeah. And that tongue, you know? So it's like, we're both taking in quite a bit when we're observing. So it's a lot of observation. And then we're both watching what's the, you know, oral rest posture when they're in tummy time, what's happening you know with that tongue when they're bringing a toy to their mouth can they bring a toy to their mouth so we're looking at gross motor fine motor still because of the otpt perspective but really like how it all incorporates with the oral function so again a lot of observation and then eventually we definitely get our hands in there and i would say most of the time you can get in there with an infant um get in their mouth because yeah they're little and if they're regulated we can do it yeah. um But there are times where we've done co-evaluations where the baby's really dysregulated and it's just, sometimes I just do, we're both trained in craniosacral fascial therapy, which I know you interviewed Kim and Holly recently. Um, So sometimes we just work on the baby when they're like laying on mom and that's, that's all we can really do. But just observing is enough for us to enough for us to go off of, like, we don't always need our hands in the mouth. We don't always need our hands on the baby's pelvis to, to initiate something to help the family. So I think that's the nice part is we're flexible. And I think the families are like, Oh, cause I think bringing a baby to a physical therapist or feeding specialist feels a little bit like there's something really wrong, you know, yeah. and they get really, you know, families can get a little bit anxious. So we try to like squish that anxiety as much as we can initially and say, we're on your baby's timeline and this is what we're going to do. You know, we can either do this. So we have the parents choose. Do you think they're ready to feed? Or do you think they're ready to, you know, hang out on the mat table and, you know, we can watch their movement. And so having the parents choose is really helpful for them because they feel like, oh, remote, like this isn't going to be something that is like, you know, incriminating. We're doing on this baby. together. We're mm-hmm. a
2: team. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like having that hour and a half time really gives us time to let the mom, usually a new mom, because we see mostly infants come in, settle, set her bags down, get comfortable. We go all, to the
1: bathroom without holding their baby. Yeah, we <laughs> offer
2: them to go to the bathroom. We have tea and coffee in the waiting room. And sometimes their face is just like, I can do that. Like you can watch my baby for a minute or, you know, they feel safe yeah. and, and, And we'll speak freely to the way they're feeling. Sometimes we have, recently we had a mom who is dealing with extreme postpartum and the whole session was a lot of being there for her. Just Um, having,
1: being like a good listening ear. Yeah, Yeah.
2: being a listener. And I think uh, when they come to us, you know, yes, like Hope said, they're anxious, nervous. What's it going to be like? What's wrong with my baby? Um, And when they're new parents, um, of infants, they're sleep deprived. They are like, wow, this pediatrician told me this and this chiropractor told me this. And now you're, you know, now someone said I should go to the dentist. So we are a, a huge listening ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that giving time and just being flexible with the co-evaluation is huge. Um, Back in the clinic days, I felt like I had to bam, 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 bang it all out, or I'm not going to get this in. And I'm not going to get all the information I need to write up this eval. If we don't get all the information we need in our eval these days, not a big deal. We'll get it the next time. We'll, you know, we will get it at some point. We don't have a checklist out when we do our eval. It's very, um, flowing Mm -hmm. we might ask the parents you know okay we got your intake form tell me a little bit more about this it says coughing tell me a little bit more about the snoring does that happen during the day does it happen during the night is the mouth open is the mouth closed so um it kind of gives us you know a little bit of a template to ask more questions but it's again it's not like we're checking boxes and going off of something that we need to fill out to turn in Um, we read the parents and read the baby or the toddler or whatever and kind of just ask questions depending on what we're seeing at the time too. Yeah. Yeah. Um sometimes parents don't report everything in the intake form. And when we come in, when they come in to see us, we're mm-hmm. like, hmm, we should really ask about this. <laughs> or, you know, and they're oh. like,
1: Oh, I didn't think to tell you that. Or yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that was important. <laughs>
2: right. So um, yeah.
1: One other thing I was gonna say too, with um with them coming in and, and telling us kind of like their story is like, sometimes there's a lot of venting that goes on yeah, and a lot of confusion. And I think sometimes, even if they've already had the release done or if they're thinking about it and they're not sure and they're doing some pre, you know, like therapy before release, it's just like, you know, hearing like for like the third time The same thing of what a provider has already said, because at this point, sometimes they've had lactation say yes, you need a release. They've had the dentist say yes, you need a release. And then there's that third party. So sometimes that really solidifies it for them. And I do think that we're a big part because we do have an hour and a half versus sometimes like a chiropractic appointment is like 15 minutes. It's not wrong or right. It's just, they just don't have the capacity to sit with them. So I do think our session is a big, like fear squisher. And that's kind of our hope um, when parents come in and we do get that perspective, you know, we will get the response of, Oh, this was so helpful. Like, like, like the parent literally like audibly, yes. ah, that was so helpful. You know, like they sigh at the end. I'm like, Oh, that's what we want to hear. Um, yeah. But another question that we like to ask is like, what is a 24 hour like day look like for you guys, like, um, because you get some parents that are doers. And I will say, I think a lot of our parents that are doers that happen to be SLPs. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't it surprise is. me. So sometimes we're like, okay, this is, this mom is an SLP. So like, we should probably like tone down the home program. Cause she'll do it a lot. Yeah. Like she's gonna, she's gonna have her hands in that baby's mouth all day. If we like, don't tell her not to, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's just kind of a funny thing but um we we like to give homework also based off of reading the parent and reading the family of like this mom probably can't handle more than the oral stretches from the release so we're just really going to tone it down or this mom is a doer and she wants all the information so we're going to give it to her but we're going to tell her let's yeah let's reel it in a little let's not have your hands in your baby's mouth all day Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. (laughs) I think like you said so many good things and there's, you know, like one of the things you said earlier too, just around parents and working with this population of, you know, having an infant kind of being in that, especially when they're still in that, you know, fourth trimester um, is that parent guilt because so many of the parents will say to us, like, did I do something wrong? Like moms, especially like, did I do something wrong? Did I do this to my baby? Is it something that I did wrong in pregnancy? And, it's, and, and, you know, I'm always like, you didn't do anything wrong. You did the best that you could do with the information you had. There is no way that you were changing this in your part, you know, like, no, like, yes, your body created this child, but also you're sitting here looking to get your child help. You're doing all the right things. And I think that, you know, speaking, I love how you really spoke to some parents just really need that ear during the eval and the eval might look very different. There have been times where we barely touch the baby. Yeah. We barely get and not because the baby's not ready, but it's because the parent really yeah. needs that ear of a provider who is understanding, who is going to listen, who's not going to gaslight or dismiss or tell you, Oh, it's fine. It'll, you know, like you'll, your baby will fall on their face and, and they're gaining you know.
1: weight. Right. They anyway,
0: they're okay. They can stick their tongue out. I mean, we could list like 75 different things that people say I that are just, all those things with my daughter. So yeah. right. Right. Me too. I mean, me too. It's like, we didn't even get the diagnosis. So, and then once yeah. we had it trying to find someone who actually would do something and work with me was like another whole yeah. story, but you know, I think it's so critical to understand that we have to look at the patient in front of us and yeah. I did this training. It was more based, but I did a training called airway first back in December. And it was just like a two hour training. And it was a lot of it was like half of it was surrounding my experiences in adult going through all of this myself mm-hmm. as a patient. But the other half of it was like, everyone's like, what's your secret sauce to working with patients? Why are your patients so responsive? Why do they, how do you get them to do their homework? And you know, how do you know what to do first, recommend first or who they should see first? And I said, a lot of it's been a learning experience. One is myself as a patient, being the mom of a patient, but also working with patients. And, you know, it's not, everybody's going to go down the same trajectory. Not everyone's going to get the same referral first. Not everyone's going to get the same exercises. Not everybody needs the same thing. Like we need to know it's not just about, and it's not even just about the muscles. It's like you guys said, if that parent is not ready today to do anything more than active wound care, then that is what we're doing today. Yeah. And that's probably what they're doing for the next week or until we see them at their next appointment, you know, yeah. with check-ins in between, right? And I think that's so critical because I also get the question from SLPs, especially in my feed the Peas scores. <laughs> like <laughs> I actually just recorded an episode on this recently that I don't know if it came out already or if it's the one coming out like less next, but- The less is more one? Yes, less is yeah. more, less yeah. is more. I was- yeah, listening so. <laughs> Okay, so that must've been, that came, that came out this week. So, you know- I have people who are like, well, how many exercises and like how many repetitions of exercises? And I'm like, whoa, pump the brakes. I'm like, first yeah. of all, what does that child need today? Cause yeah. what they need today and what the parents can handle are two very different things. And maybe what happens in the next session or happened last session or happens with this other child who presents similarly. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why I love, you know, what you're speaking to is really keying into like that dyad, right. And the dynamic of, caregiver and child. And, you know, whether I'm working with an adult in Mayo or a pediatric beating patient, what can they handle today? Like, what are they receptive to? Like just tapping into the human sitting in front of yes. you and kind of being like, what do you need today? Right. How yes. can I help you today? How can we work together today to like move the needle forward? Uh-huh. And, you know, and I know we were chatting a little bit before we recorded and, you know, um I think I think Karin, you said this, that sometimes we don't make progress in a session or two <laughs> sessions or three sessions, right? And I'll, I'm going to turn that over to you and let you speak to that. But yeah, I mean, I totally based my worth as a clinician or in, in my early days on like making progress every single session. And then later on in my career, I kind of was like, yeah, that's not possible. And also it doesn't define me as a human or a clinician, <laughs> but I'd love for you to speak to that. Yeah. Um. So I think that as
2: a new grad years ago, I was always under the impression, and I'm type A personality, so I'm a planner. I like to you know, have a list of things, and I'm going to cross it off and get through those, and then I know I did my job. Um, so I was under the impression that when I had a client, I needed to see something in the session. I needed the parents to see something. Oh, look, he crossed the shoelace over this time, but last time he didn't or you know he picked up the spoon this time, but now I'm to a point in my career where I will front load the parents, especially if they're anywhere in the age range from eight to 10 months, all the way to three, three and a half, Um, I will front load them and just say, I might not get my hands on your child during this eval. I might not get my hands in their mouth for the first two, three sessions. Um, And that's okay. There's a lot you can do in a session Without putting your hands on the child, my biggest thing is building rapport with the family first and foremost. The family and you know the team, the caregivers, whoever is bringing them to the session. Um, but with the child, especially a toddler, if I'm going to force myself upon them just to prove that we are going to get something done and they're going to walk away with something. Guess what? The next session they're going to come back and little Johnny is not going to wanna to get near me. Yeah. You just um, lost his trust forever. <laughs> yeah. So Done. I am super comfortable now saying, you know, hey, I, I like to front load my parents of toddlers and say, this is a journey. Um, you know, it, we can't expect your child. There's no crystal ball that says he's gonna react or she's gonna react this way. Um, just as with an infant with tethered world tissues. Some babies progress, you know, and in
1: two weeks we see major changes. We call them those light switch babies where it's like a light switch turns on after the release. And we're always like surprised. We're like, like, Whoa, what just happened? I, I, I guess you're doing what you, you met your goals, you know? And then there's those that take, yeah. Then there's those that take six months, eight, 10 weeks. I once got an email from
2: a mom that I was working with. I started working with her baby at six, no, probably four weeks old. And at, and we had had some sessions and then at about 10 or 12 weeks, I get an email, follow-up email from her. Hey, I just wanted to let you know, we're finally exclusively breastfeeding, but this was weeks of her putting in homework. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw each other every other week for all these weeks. And so that baby took a lot longer and it was a lot more effort and time on the mom's purpose. She was really invested in breastfeeding and whatnot. But so we, I like to tell parents too, that yes, there's no crystal ball. I don't know if your baby's going to show progress in two weeks. I don't know if it's going to be 10 weeks later. Um, And I think when they hear that, especially before pre-release or pre-doing any of this stuff, it also helps to ease because many times there's providers that will say, oh yeah, let's just do this. It's going to fix everything. We're going to do all the ties and you'll be good to go.
1: Ah, no, with no mention of the collaborative care, right? Yeah, and or any other care at all. <laughs> it, yes. It hurts my soul a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then we call those the cleanup cases. Yeah. I know that's a little yeah. bit of a harsh term, but you know, sometimes I'll text car and I'll be like cleanup case today, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where it's months post-release and they're just now, Oh wait, I, sh- I didn't know I needed body work. I didn't know this was, I didn't even know this was a component until I saw it on a Facebook group. And I saw your name and I thought I'd just call you and see like, what do you do? I don't understand. And I'm like, wow, ah, like or the provider been well, doing that yeah. before and during and all the things, um, the release or so.
2: the provider, you know, this this family, like you're mentioning yeah. has gone back to the provider multiple times, still having difficulty post-release and it might be six, eight weeks later. Yeah, And that's when they refer, well, maybe you should try feeding therapy or, and, and the you know, then here we are back in the state of anxiousness, nervousness. Wait, what? Now you're telling me you need another thing. And then when they come to find out that, oh, maybe we should have been doing this all along. There's
1: that guilt. It's
2: another, yeah, it's another step in their journey. The guilt sets in. And so again, we are the listening ear for many of those cases. Um, But, you know, we're flexible and we try to be as comforting as we can. And and advocate and say, you know, you're here now and mm-hmm. we're gonna move forward and we're gonna get you the help that you need. And um, yeah, so I don't know if I answered all the questions, but no,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you did, you did. I, and I, I'm, I think it's, I, I, sorry, I think it's a little bit less with like the bodywork piece, putting your hands on a baby's pelvis is, you know, or a toddler's pelvis is not as incriminating as going in the mouth. But having said that, I will say, some toddlers just swap me away the second I touch their head. They're like, "Nope, no thank you," you know. So then I'm just like, "Okay, mom, I'm gonna do it." And we have our little baby doll back there. Her name is Frenny. Um, I have Frenny, and I'm just gonna take Frenny through some movements. And I want you to do it with your child sitting in, in your lap, and you tell me what you're feeling. So I kind of empower the parent. And they're like, "What do you mean? I don't know what." I'm like, "No, we're just gonna go slow. You know, we're gonna do some side bending. We're gonna do some rotation." Tell me, do they have a favorite side? Do they have a side that's easier? So then the first couple of sessions is just mom doing it. Then the child's familiar with me by the next two to three sessions, then I can get my hands on the child. So it does happen for me, probably a lot less, (laughs) but I think we both, you know, kind of function in that way, which is why I feel like I can look at Karin during an evaluation. And we just like, no, what's we're like, yep, we're not going there. We have the Mr. Mouth. Oh yeah. yeah. I always say I, I can do it here. I can do it on
2: you. I volunteer, you know, myself to do it at the, on the parents and some are more open and sure. Yeah. And others are like, "Mm, I don't know. So that's when Mr. Mouth comes
0: into play.
1: (laughs) So we have our props to help us with like, yeah. those kids that need more time to develop rapport, which is,
0: you know, yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I love that. Cause that's also like one of the questions that I just came up again yesterday or as we're wrapping up one of our courses, but someone at the very end of the course was just like, okay, but like, but like, what if I can't get in the mouth? Like, do you refer to somebody else? Do you do this? Do you do that? And I was like, okay, deep breath. <laughs> I was like, let's okay. take a deep breath. Okay. I was like, yes, one, you can refer to somebody else because if they're gonna go to another provider who's gonna diagnose that anyways, and you're confident they're not gonna try and release the kids same day or next week, yeah. And yeah. you know, before the kid is actually ready, then by all means, like go for it, make the referral if it's important, yes. especially if it's important to the parent, right? Sometimes the parents just yes. like they want that tissue exposed, they want someone to give the diagnosis. Yes. I'm like, but don't let that pressure from the parent destroy your relationship with the child, as you guys were speaking to. Like, you can so quickly, <clears throat> you know, avoid avoid losing the kid's trust. You can lose the trust very quickly, and you can also very quickly gain trust by just tapping into who's sitting in front of you and what they need and what they're ready for. Um, and you know, it's like, I even talk to like little babies when I'm like, okay, are you ready? Like, you know, it's like I'm asking permission with like knowing that like, they're not going to actually talk back to me at these younger ages, but at the same time, like if you kind of see them kind of look at you and they smile a little, or they're kind of just like, you know, they're not crying or looking like really distressed. You're kind of like, okay, they're responsive to my voice everybody's calm. Let's see what they allow. And, you know, sometimes we get in there and we do something and then it's like, they're like, okay, that was fine, but that's not fine. Or okay. I was okay for 10 seconds, but 15 seconds is too much, you know? And, and that's the other piece to it too, where I think like, just, I think if we could all kind of just take 10 steps back and not worry so much about what we're getting done in this session, but worrying about connecting, it's, it's almost like, I don't know how to describe it. I always say there's like a perfect, like, you know, dance between art and science because yeah. there, there is no perfect dance there. It's just a dance, right? And it's yeah. imperfect and it's messy. And, you know, and again, it looks so different one patient to the next, but it's like, when you start to work with these patients you kind of connect with them in a way where you're like, okay, I hear you. Like you liked that. Let's do that again. You didn't like that. Let's not do that. Um, and sometimes that's how I pick the exercises that I send home because yeah. it's based on like, what went well, in the session, yeah. cause I want the parent or the caregiver to have success. I don't yeah. want to send them home. And you know, I've had people say, well, no, when they do really well with something, I might give that like as a homework, um, you know, let's work on that muscle or let's do that exercise. But then I'll also give them something that the kid really struggled with. And I'm like, I think that's okay. If the kid is receptive to it, yeah. if the child's going into like shutdown, meltdown mode, absolutely never do that. Yeah. Never. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: because yeah. the parent is going to go into shutdown mode Yes, be anxious, which the kid's going to automatically be anxious. And there's that whole like interconnection of like, everybody's nervous system is now in fight or flight when we need you and rest and digest. And it's like, okay, this is a mess and we're going, this is not going anywhere. So I think it's so, I love this conversation and I know like we've come back to it a couple of times, but it doesn't matter how many times I tell someone, I still keep getting that same question, yeah. which is why I was like, We well, need an episode on this.
1: Um, yeah. because yeah, and- if you can, it's like just deep breath and try to connect with the human in front of you. Yeah, I used to work in academia and I taught first year DPT students, and I would tell them, Sometimes you have to take off your PT hat and put on your human hat because, like, we're all still humans, and I think too it's easy to dismiss the baby as weird as it sounds as a human, but babies have preferences and they have tolerance levels and they have nervous systems just like toddlers and they communicate. And so, you know, when you think about like a torticollis case and, you know, Oh, we're going to stretch the neck, which by the way, I don't, I don't do any stretching of the neck. It's just, I treat torticollis a little different, but, um, Stretching of the neck and the baby's screaming, or tummy time. And it's like, you know, these parents are told, Well, I have to do this many minutes mm-hmm. and the baby's screaming. I'm like, they're not learning. They're not releasing yes. tension if they're screaming. Like, so we have to respect that that's what, you know, your baby has a preference and your baby's telling us, and that's their way of communicating. So we have to find another way. We have to find another position, another time in the day where they're more regulated and they're happy. Um, So we kind of give parents the grace of like not pushing it when we have those type A moms that are like, but I have to do this five times. It's like, well in a perfect world. Yes. But that's not human. So like we always tell parents before any oral stretches, anything where you get in the mouth, you're going to tell the baby you're going to get in their mouth. And they kind of giggle. Like the parents are like, what, you know, like, yeah. are you serious? But I'm telling you, like you said, when the baby locks eyes with you and they're cooing at you and you're like touching their lips, you're like, here I go. Can I come in? And I literally show them, do you see how your baby just opened their mouth to invite me in? They literally do it. Yeah, yeah if they're, they do. they're like, Oh, And they open their mouth and then I'm like, now you can get in there. And I think
2: a thing to add to that too, is that now that we're both out on our own, one thing that we offer for parents is to text us, to send us videos so that if you have questions, if we send you home with one or two pieces of homework, we do it here in the session. They do it here in the session, but maybe when they get home, it looks different. Or maybe they're wondering if they're doing it right and they don't want to wait we don't want them to wait yeah. until the next time they see us, because usually it's not weekly appointments. Um, so it's might bi-weekly usually. usually. Yeah. So we have this open communication system with our families and we do, I get texts almost <laughs> daily, if not every other day or videos, you know, Hey, here's the sleeping tongue pose. Hey, this is what the snoring sounds like. Am I doing this exercise? Right. I don't know if I'm getting, you know, under the tongue, right. Or whatever. Um, but I think that having us so close and we yeah. do say that we'll respond within 24 hours because we have both have families mm-hmm. and they're very understanding. And yeah. I feel like it's just another level of, we're just bringing another level of comfort Human. another, yeah. you, you know, humans, yeah. we're listening ear and they feel so validated. Yeah. Um, and really buy in and, com- you know, they're compliant with what we're giving them because we are flexible. And I will say, yes, try for a series of three. If you get one out of three and that's all you can do, that is awesome. Life happens. You're tired. You are a new mom. And that is huge. So if there's three days that go by and you're like, shoot, I didn't do anything. Ms. Karn told me to do. That's okay. Yeah. We will move on. We will move forward life
1: happens because it does. Well, and, and it's also weird for these parents to get in their baby's mouth. When yes. have you ever gotten in anybody's mouth? Like yeah. it is definitely, you
2: foreign, know, a tactile skill,
1: a coordination skill to be doing like these lip, you know, stretches and like, oh, do you feel that band in there? Like some people don't have great tactile sense to feel right. the really, really thick master, you know, that's in there that you can like, Uh, release or, you know, Oh, do you feel like, like I was saying earlier, it's easier to one side or the other. Sometimes the parents are like panicking. Like I don't feel anything. And I'm like, that's okay. They're not, they don't work with their hands in this way. So that's why it's like, Oh, if you do a series of three, maybe by the third repetition, you're feeling what we're talking about. Um, so I think there's definitely a, like a physical kinesthetic learning curve for some of these families for sure. And I I always kind of joke with them. I'm like, Oh, by the end of the time that you're doing the oral stretches, most of our providers, you know, say for four weeks to do them. And so, Oh, by the end of the four weeks, you'll have mastered it and then you'll be done. (laughs) (laughs) But it's
0: so true because, you know, even me as like a new clinician, right? Like I hadn't been in people's mouths. And so kind of just going back to like where I was way back when, you know, now having a parent with an infant, obviously. was also that parent with the infant. My second one was released at five days. We did, you know, body work with her and I worked in her mouth and everything. But even with her, it was like, and I was I was working with toddlers prior to my first one and then kind of integrated the infants in later. Um, But yeah, even with her, it was like, does this feel right? I mean, it's really hard, like we've said, to like therapize your own child. I can do it much better with anybody else's kid. Um, But these parents don't know like what something feels like or what it, you know, what should it feel like? What shouldn't it feel like? You know, and I, I love that you spend time with them because we do that too, is, you know, we want them to feel comfortable when they leave. If you just show a parent a video and give them a piece of paper, they don't get their hands on doing it practicing it there is very minimal chance they're going to do the homework because oh, yeah. one they're afraid they're going to hurt their child two mm-hmm. they have it's it, there's a lot of fear and then that ranks up the anxiety and then the child is not going to be as receptive like we've talked about you know it's that nervous system is so important so I love that you guys are spending this time educating and also making sure they feel good about, you know, oh yeah. Okay. Now I feel it. Okay. Now I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. Now we're one step closer to like feeling successful with this. Um, because it's the, it's the same thing. You know, I've been also the patient I've had. Um, but when I lived in Maryland, I went to, uh, this PT who was trained in what he called, um, or I guess what he did was manual counter strain, like not your yeah. traditional counter strain. And so, yeah. and he was like PRI trained and, you know, that's worked with nice. like youth expansion and all that. Mm-hmm. And he would say like, can you feel this? Can you feel that? And for me, I could, like, I could feel things pulsing. I could feel things, you know, with very gentle touch. I would feel like things like flowing in my body again. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he was like, I'm pretty sure that like only 33% of adults can actually oh. like, feel this in themselves. Yeah. I think that's what he said. And I was like, huh. I, like, and I remember that clicking, like this must've been five years ago, but that clicked. And I went, Oh, okay. So these parents can't even feel it on themselves. These adults, like I wonder how many of them actually can't feel it. Even like when I'm sitting there training them, their hands are in their kids mouth. Like, are they not? And like you said, different like tactile input, you know, for different hands, And so when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's a really, really, really good point. Cause even as much as we train them, it's like, parents are like, am I giving enough pressure? Do I do it harder? Is it too light? And, you know, (laughs) they don't have a good feel for like what to do. And again, that fear of like, I don't want to hurt my child. We're like, well, nobody Uh wants to hurt your child. And do this, it was going to hurt your child, but it's okay. Like we're going to work through this together. Um, But I think that level of support is amazing and it's critical, especially with infants. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think with that being said too. And the, the whole tethered old tissue post-release, mm-hmm. um, the provider that we mo- work most closely with Dr. Hahn and Basha at Little Star Breathe, um, we try to see the patients within a day or two or three days. Um, we both work out of the office there one day a week now as well doing wound care follow-up. But I think that trying to see a family within that first one to two to three days For the very reason you were just speaking about is huge because when they're in the consult and they take the video of how to do the stretches or they're given the handout or whatnot, it's a lot, you know, it's an hour consult and what, whatever, what have you, it's a great consult. Um, But most of the time on the first follow-up, we get parents that come in and say, I hope I was doing it. Okay. I don't know if I'm doing it hard enough. I feel like I can't get under the tongue. They're clamping down. So being that listening ear and that reassurance, whether it's at the dental office, when we're there for follow-up days or it's here or it's in home and really reiterating what is to be done and showing them, you know, no, you're not, you're doing a great job or yeah, we do need you to, uh, to apply a little bit more pressure.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, really again, validates like, oh, okay. I am so glad I, and we usually yeah. hear, oh, I'm so glad that I came today or I'm yeah. so glad I was able to see you today. Cause I was so worried that it was reattached or, yeah, you know, that's that like that the I'm biggest
1: like, fear It's like, oh, yeah, is so my baby's reattached because their jaw's not opening or yes. they're doing this. And yeah, you know, so I always say we can course correct. Like we, you only got this procedure done two days ago. So we can really make sure that we're going to make everybody feel comfortable and confident that that tongue is going to heal the way we want it to. And so they're like, oh, okay, you know, they're like, oh, thank goodness. I mean, it is a lot of appointments because they just had the release like two or three days ago and then they're coming in again. But
2: usually they're so ecstatic, this, you know, to come in and be like, oh, okay, thank you for validating me. It's never an appointment where they're like, oh, we're here again. They're like, okay, I just want to make sure I'm doing everything right, you know, and like, what else do we need to be doing? Um, So.
0: We do that. We do that too. And like, I think that that 24 to 48 hour, like after the release happens window, if you can get to a patient and make sure that, you know, the caregivers feel really confident about like what needs to happen now. Um, I think that's huge. And, you know, we also work with some older kiddos and, you know, elementary and through high Mm -hmm. school and even adults with the mild side of things. And for them too, I mean, half the time they're mm-hmm. not confident or the kids like not loving how it feels while it's healing. If they maybe had sutures place, you know, and they're not wanting to eat or they're not wanting, they're afraid to speak. And we're just like literally sitting with them there trying to get them, you know, and I've done this with toddlers too, just sticking their tongue out a little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit at a time, just like, okay, did how did that feel? Okay, mm-hmm. great. Can we go a little bit more? Okay. How did that feel? And then will be like, that was ouchy, or something, you know, I'll Be like, okay, that's where we stop. We don't yeah. want it to be ouchy. Like let's, we'll work on that more later today or tomorrow, you know? And so I think like, You know, it's I always loved those sessions because I felt like they were so for the parent who's like so nervous to go through with the procedure to then see this on the flip side, like even within like hours or a day or two, like and even with the babies who are still struggling, the parents always will say something along the lines of like, oh, they don't feel as tight, or okay now because we've worked on this so much leading up to it, now they they feel the difference, and I think that is so critical. I've always said like photos and videos are great, and I think definitely show change. So absolutely love them. However, feeling it and experiencing what it feels like before and after, especially for the caregiver. Yeah. I mean, I think those light bulbs go off in their head, okay. and they're like, oh, "Okay, now it all makes sense. Like it's clicking. Okay, I see what's going on." And and I think that's especially helpful too, especially like with our infants who are really still struggling to feed, yeah. and we're gonna take yes. you know a while to really get on track post-release. You know, yeah. even though we've done all this work leading up to it, <laughs> um, yeah. because it's like all those little like glimmers of hope where like the yes. parent something connects in the parent, and the parent's like, "Okay, I'm with you. I get this now." okay, why are we still struggling? And then that's like the next conversation. It's like, okay, well, you know how we did this to get here. Now we have to do this to get there. And we don't know how long that'll take. Like you were saying, like some kids are, I, I think you call them the light switch, like light switch, they yep. get the release and boom, it's like, everything's functioning. And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? But unfortunately that's less common than it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, that it is like the norm. So most of our kiddos definitely you know, we see several weeks to several months, and then if there's other more involved kiddos, like from a motor standpoint, that can be plus yeah. of you know follow up therapy depending on what's going on. But, but yeah, I think I love how you guys take this this approach that's very <clears throat> supportive, I think, and very you know family forward because that's I
1: think that's how it needs to be. There's way yeah, too well, many and I think too, like that the aren't. providers we the providers we work with, like you know specifically Dr. Hunnivash, like she emphasizes what we need to get done too. So it's like, if we're all saying the same thing to the family and they're getting that repetition of like, yeah, it's gonna, you know, she never promises the light switch situation. And in fact, she probably more often says it's gonna take some time. It's good. You know, she, and I think like, I can always tell, like, I don't even need to see on paper if the, like where the family got their procedure done for their child, because if the family is more open to the therapies and they're more like their expectations are set better, um, you know, by certain providers who do that education and take that five minutes to say, Hey, listen, this is a journey. This is, you know, even with those infants, like the mom is in pain, breastfeeding and all that, like you, I want that light switch to happen, but like
2: Realistically,
1: realistically, those families are so much uh, like better supported and better, you know, their expectations are just set. And I can always tell if they've heard this from their IBCLC or the release provider before they come to us.
2: Well, many of the families too, I will come to the first session and they'll say, oh yeah, Dr. Hanenbosch said her part takes care of the Anatomical structure, but we need to work on function and we need to work on. And I'm like, oh, I didn't have this. Ah, She's already yeah. studying. It. So and beautiful. It's cute. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, yeah, I will reiterate that. And I will say, I'm sure Dr. Hanenbosch said in your consultation that her part, you know, strictly takes care of the anatomical portion of what's going on. Um, myself and Dr. Hope are going to look at function and how is this impacting feeding function, you know, motor movement patterns, tension patterns. Um, The dentist doesn't do that part, you know, so that's why we are a team. That's why we collaborate, you know. Um, And when they go back for their third follow-up, which is their last follow-up four or five months post, we hear from Dr. Hanabash all the time was like, Oh, wow.
1: Like fine. what a huge like yeah. totally different baby, different, different mom. Yeah. You know, the mom's not Relaxed. coming in holding their baby with their shoulders that Like you can just tell the parents look different too. Yeah. So yeah.
2: That's
1: that's the fun part, you know, to see like that end journey, like success cases and you know, parents that have reached their goals and you know, it's just fun.
2: One thing I just want to add too quickly is um when we when I like first came into the space and went out on my own. <laughs> I was so used to having kids in the clinic on my caseload for months at a time, years at a time. And so when I was in this space and on my own and working with these more typical kids, um, I felt like I was doing something wrong at first because I would have maybe three sessions, five sessions, six sessions. And then I was like, I don't think this kid needs me anymore. Like, what is going on? Am I am I not seeing something? And I, I would see something. Am I missing something? I would, you know, call Hope and be like, "Hey, you know." And she would say the same thing. And I yeah, I feel like the time, the energy, um, the collaboration, the collaboration is, really is like it. so huge. Yeah. And so it took me a few months of this repetition of like, I only saw that kid three times. And they're like, are they really ready to be discharged? Are we really ready to be done for me to realize like, yeah, this whole team approach, like I don't need a kid on my caseload for a year. I mean, maybe there's check-ins. And so some of the infants that I see, you know, that are done working with me at three months, sometimes parents will call me back at six months when they introduce solids and I will, you know, revisit the family and do a session or two based around that. But Um, you know, same
1: with torticollis too. So, like in the clinic, we would have to wait for the pediatricians to refer, and they're Mm -hmm. they're getting a little better. APTA has spit out a little bit of research (laughs) saying by eight weeks they need to refer. I'm like, I had a twenty day old in my office the other day, and I'm like, yes, 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 and I'm like, guess what? I, I felt the same way. I'm like, wait, they're getting better faster because they're young and they don't have as many milestones to reverse or enhance or oh, you know, he's sitting, but he's like this, or he's rolling to one direction. I'm like a 20 day old doesn't have that many milestones to like fix. Right. So I was like, they're getting better faster because I'm seeing them earlier and I'm not waiting for somebody to tell the family that they need to come see me. So it's really like this conversation, like on the PT side of things, is it really torticollis, or is it just idiopathic postural asymmetry. We're fixing it before the torticollis comes in before the neck really looks like it's the biggest issue. Because from my perspective, it's not the neck, the neck is the symptom of something else going on. And then the, then, then there's a the tethered oil tissues and the mouth tension and all that. But you know, the, the whole body approach is yeah. like, there's something else like pulling on that child, on their hip or their pelvis, their trunk, something else. And the neck is just, you know, so we could stretch the neck all we want, but it's, you're not going to fix the problem and the tilt's not going to go away until you look at the trunk. So, but I get these babies like discharged faster. And when I was in the clinic, I wouldn't get a baby with torticollis to like four or five months. And I would always think to myself, where were you three months ago? There's no way that this just happened overnight. And these parents would say, oh yeah, they really did like looking, you know, to this side, but I didn't think it was a problem because the the pediatrician didn't catch be said, it. Or, wait, let's wait and see. Yeah. Let's wait and see. Or My favorite one is just, oh yeah, just dangle a toy to the side that they don't like to look. I'm like, well, babies avoid movement that challenges any tension. So there's no way they're going to look to their non-preferred side unless they get that body work done. Like, I don't know how you're going to do it unless you just force it. Um, But getting them earlier is like, it's almost like wellness versus reactive care. And I love being on the wellness side. And I think that's my favorite thing about like having my own practice is that I feel like I'm, I'm like doing things before it's a problem. Obviously they have, you know, feeding issues and all of that, but I'm like, I'm doing it before it's like a really yeah. big gross motor problem. And then we don't need the cranial remolding helmet because we fix the range of motion. And now their head is growing round and it's beautiful, <laughs> but yeah, they just drink yeah. a lot faster. So it is a little bit weird being on like more of that wellness side, catching it earlier. Families are coming directly to me, not waiting for their pediatrician to agree, Um, so that's like my favorite part about it. It's like so fun to see them discharge in like five sessions. Right. If you would have told me that like 10 years ago, I'd be like, no way. It takes way more for a baby with torticollis. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, I think that's the beautiful thing of like being in private practice for yourself and being able to like, you know, call the shots and educate and hopefully get the kiddos in earlier. And, you know, I have parents who always come and they're like, oh my gosh, is it too late? I'm like, no, it's not too late. But depending on your child's age, we have more, like you said, more to undo more to catch up on and certain you know, it's just, it takes a little bit longer and. That's a bigger investment in, yeah. in many ways. Um, so, you know, but I always tell parents, I'm like, if the, the earlier, the better, like early intervention is so key. And we've talked about that on the podcast a lot before, but I'm like, if we could just get every pediatrician to sit in a room together and somebody could come and talk to them and we could yeah. have this conversation with them and be like, Hey, like when you see that newborn or that baby at one or two weeks of age, and mom's got these concerns, it can't hurt right. to send it. Yeah. to a provider who does what we do because we may save them months of depression, months of feeding issues, months of motor issues. I mean, everything we, you just listed it. It's and, you know, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, you know, I appreciated our pediatrician that I had when my girls were young, because they had like the, the questionnaires for mom. And they had the questionnaires for babies so they could flag any issues, you know, with postpartum depression or an anxiety or anything else going on with mom where they felt like it might be helpful to refer mom out too. Um, And so I really appreciated that because I feel like not, that's not standard Uh, and we need to be supporting the caregiver who's taking care of this child that they're, you know, they're the pediatrician of. Um, But, you know, at the same time, it's like, I feel like there's been so much more conversation around like mental health, but I'm not seeing it translate to everyday practice in our young moms or moms of young and, you know, new infants and any that's that mean like in a perfect world if we could just you know get all these people in one room educate them send them off on their merry way <laughs> I think we'd all be a better off. now go it. do <laughs> disperse <Yeah>. Do.
2: <laughs> hope and I both have made um little flyers for people in the community pediatricians uh you know other providers that we would like to collaborate with um and it's more for that discipline not for the parents so it, it's for the pediatricians And they can look on the back of it and Mm -hmm. it says, you know, you put on there, if your baby's zero to two, or if the baby is zero to two months and the parents are coming in and, you know, they have this complaint or this residual, whatever's going on, send them to me. So it's more, we're trying to, um, educate and, you know, (laughs) those who, yeah, we're trying (laughs) Um, those who, some are more accepting than others. Um, yeah. But I do feel like we are slowly getting more referrals from
1: younger babies. Yeah. Younger babies and
2: providers are like, oh, I just got another referral from this pediatrician, or oh, this family came in and said the pediatrician said that we should probably see feeding therapy before we blah, 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 blah. Um, So, you know, it's still rare,
1: but but it's, we're seeing it. Yeah. Yeah slowly, but surely it's harder to tap into that classic medical model. You know, it's really hard to change their process, to change their perspective and all of that. Um, well, it's like the bigger, bigger, higher ups too. So we have
2: a lot of moms that come in and say, I had a mom two weeks ago that was like the nurse in the hospital whispered to me and said, I feel tension under your baby's tongue, but I can't say anything. So when you get discharged, Go for a second opinion. The nurses, you know, Back their orders. hands yeah. are tied. Yeah. So it's just, you know, we do what yep. we can. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I, I had that experience as the mom where I was like, okay, I know too much. I'm not going to go in my child's mouth. Like silly Hallie. Like, okay. As soon as the baby latches to breast, like you're not going to know if your child has a tongue tie. Like really? And yeah, I mean, no. the second she, she like latched, I was like, oh, this is like Lily all over again. Okay. All right. I don't even need to look in the mouth. I know what's going on in here. There's a lot of tension and maybe there's a tie, maybe there's not, but there is definitely tension and we've got to do something about it. And so like day two, I basically showed the pediatrician when they came to visit from our pediatrician's office she was like, yep, you're, you're absolutely correct. Like 100%. As soon as she diagnosed it, the outside pediatrician who came to visit inside the hospital, then the nurse was like, oh, do you want our hospital to doctor to release that for you? And I was like, don't touch my baby. <laughs> like, wait a second, there's gag (laughs) orders. You can't diagnose it. But as soon as my external pediatrician did, now you want to bill my insurance. No, no. Like this is not how I was like, and no, you're not releasing it today because she's not ready. Like (laughs) (laughs) they were like, can we, they wanted to take her to like do hearing tests outside of the room. I was like, no, no, you can do that right here. I was like, nobody's taking my child after that experience.
2: Yeah. Don't
0: touch your tongue. Like, yeah. This is a room in hospital. My child is not leaving my
2: side. <laughs> yeah, good for you. And I think reminding parents too that you are your babies or your child's biggest advocate. And for them to hear that from us on the outside, like trust your mom gut. Because yeah. just last week I was with this family that I just mentioned. The mom was told that in the hospital, and she's seen multiple providers since. Um and got the runaround. And so she also is dealing with some postpartum now, but I just really wanted her to feel validated and said, you know, reminded her numerous times in the session to trust your gut. You were her mom, you know, her the best, yeah. um, if you don't feel like something's right, ask for a referral for somewhere else, or, you know, seek, seek someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to have that comfort and that yeah. level of, understanding with a provider you're going to work with or you're not going to get anywhere if you don't, you know.
1: I just wrote a blog post the other day because I was feeling pretty spicy and (laughs) it was really meant for like, yeah, it was really meant for like other providers and to understand like when a parent comes to you for a concern for their child, it's real. Whether or not development, you know, or physiology tells you it's a real concern, you either need to validate their concern then educate as to why it's typical. Oh no, your baby shouldn't be crawling at 6 months. I get that question a lot. Like that is way too early. That's crazy. Closer to 9 months, you know, 9-10 months. You know, so you either validate and then educate as to why it's not a real medical concern or you refer to the right professional. And if you're not the right professional, like you you only have two options. Like it's not that complicated. So, but I think a lot of times like in that classic medical model we forget to validate. And then we don't educate. And we just say, Nope, it's not a big deal. But like, they need to know the why, why isn't this? Why? Why shouldn't my six month old be crawling? Because I had a play date with another kid. And that seven month old was like on their tummy. And my kid doesn't even do this. And I'm like, you know, like, so like that, that validate, then educate, like that doesn't happen a lot of the time. And I think that's really hard for parents because then they leave not feeling heard, even though like, yeah, it's not a concern that your baby's not crawling at six months, but nobody told you why nobody took the time to say that comes later. It's your baby's doing, they're sitting, they're rolling. They look great in tummy time. Like this is what your baby should be doing. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Then that concern is gone. And I feel like more often than not, I guess it, you know, select sample size because of the babies that come in our office, more often than not, the concerns are real physiological issues.
0: Yeah. So like, the same, like I, I've like had my jaw on the floor with some of the things that parents have told me they've said to pediatricians and have been dismissed. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I got to write this one down. I'm like, yeah. I just got to write this one down because You're I need to go books. have a conversation a with somebody book, yeah. like, this is not okay. You know, it's like the things that you hear, I mean, it, it, and just, it's sad to say it doesn't surprise me anymore, but it nevertheless, it breaks my heart like more and yeah. more every single time. And then what really grinds my gears since we've gone here is, you know, the providers, the professionals especially like in the SLP world or in similar, you know, therapy spaces that have entire social media accounts dedicated to quote unquote educating other providers and parents. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh no, this is not evidence-based practice and the research doesn't support this and this is that and this is that. I'm going, "Okay, there is evidence." And they're, you know, we don't have to go into this whole conversation, but it's very dangerous because one, it's unethical 2 we're spreading misinformation and that is dangerous. It's actually like, you can be sued for that. And, you know, and then they put the disclaimer, like, this is not medical advice. I'm like, oh, great. So you have just now spread all this misinformation, but you're going to put your little disclaimer so someone can't sue you, you know? And then there's a bunch of providers behind the scenes, like pulling their hair out because it's like, well, this person's account says this, right? (laughs) Hi, Hi, it's me. Yeah. And then there's na- you know, and then they go and speak for big national organizations and things and we'll just end there,
1: but yeah. <laughs> similar things happen in the PEDS PT world where it's like, there's this really big fight of quantity versus quality of movement. So like for that kiddo that's delayed and this and that, like, you know, some PTs are like, get him in orthotics, get him in a gait trainer, like get him moving. And it's like, yeah, we can appreciate that weight bearing is important after one. We can appreciate that structure is a big deal with orthotics but I'm like, but wait a minute, like quality still matters. Yeah. Like yeah. It, I'm pretty sure the majority of the colleagues of like pediatric PTs would think I'm nuts by like what I see, what I treat. Like, it's not an issue because we're all trained other under AMA <laughs> not down to them. And we're all trained to react and not to be proactive. So there's this battle in the pediatric yeah. PT world of quality. Like it doesn't matter. Just get the kid walking. And it's like, but it does matter. It actually really does. The quality does matter. So um, yeah, there's like some the kids things. that you
2: see from the clinic who're like, oh yeah, I started walking, and they discharge, them. Oh. and then we get them, and we're like,
1: what? They started walking at 24 months, and right. I'm like, I'm so happy they're walking. That's wonderful. Goal check. Bye. That's- yeah, it's like yeah, okay. and and hold on. And then the parents again are educated on like do you want to take a break? Your child's walking. Here's some home program. No, it's like you're walking. The, the, the bye parent bye. thinks that they'll just magically be fine or that they're caught up to typical milestones. And then I get them at like 30 months and they can't even go up and down stairs. And I'm like, but wait, like what happened when you got discharged with walking? And they were like, oh, they said he was fine. And I'm like, they're not fine. If they're walking a year late, <laughs> it's not fine. That's a whole other, yeah, that's a whole, saying, that's a whole other But yeah, yeah, so the quantity versus quality is huge. And same thing, The, the quantity people are the loud ones mm-hmm. at the conferences. They're the ones that are like, this is evidence based because there's really only evidence to practicing the task to make sure that, like, the motor milestone is achieved. And I'm like, how can that, you work it just does not So what
0: expense? Sense. Like at right. what expense to yes. the child? What and ex- what else are we not working on? But you know, it's like it just completely dismisses root dismisses root cause medicine. And I, I do yeah. love yeah. that like there are people in this space, like especially with tongue-tied, you know, yeah. infants and everything that are working on research and publishing things and, you know, trying to really beef this up a little sure. bit so that we yeah. can hopefully silence some of that. But, you know, that's where I think it also makes it so much harder for parents because they're like, yes. well, I'm seeing the split camp even on social media, which is where yeah. everybody hangs out all day day. Yeah. Right? And especially like when these moms are breastfeeding their babies and they're on Instagram, right? And yes. they got their phone up and they're scrolling. Like that was oh, me. Yeah. I'm, you know, no, cool. no shame. 3 I'm like, what else can I yeah, learn? I, I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 1am. I got to go to bed. You know, <laughs> it's like that's, that's life. It's like, we're all doing it, but that's why it's so dangerous and why yeah. there is, you know, and then a lot of these organizations and even licensure bodies are like, oh, we don't monitor social media. I'm like, what? Like yeah. if somebody's deliberately spreading misinformation and causing harm. That's not an issue, like surrounding like there's no licensure issue here. No, okay, cool. And I think that they are starting to change that a little bit with like how like you know predominant uh, of of a media, yeah, massive media, you know, uh, Instagram, like well, Instagram, all the all the social media channels are now. Um, But still, it's like that's where I say to parents, look, like walk in here, forget everything you think you know, and like let's just like work with your child and see what happens and see like what your what your child tells us and like you tell me what you're like you guys what you said what are you feeling? Okay. Do you feel that? Like, how's your child responding? Like what's going on here? Because at the end of the day, I'm like the best provider in my opinion is the one that's going to listen to the family and is not going to go, Oh, but this paper said, like, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care what the paper <laughs> said. We had
2: to do it five times and you have to like this and yeah.
0: yeah. Right. Well, and I think that's also part of like, you know, in a lot of therapeutic models it's like, okay, step one, step two, step three, do this, this, like you said, it's quantity, you know, quantity too. like, okay, now in step one, we do this 10 times. And step two, we do this 15 times and step three, this happens. And so when we have students come in and they're like, well, what do we do first? I'm like, well, what does the patient look like? Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? What do we do first? Like we have to eval the patient to figure out, like, let's, let me teach you how to do an eval so we can see what we do first. And, <laughs> you know, and that might even not even be what we do first. Right. And so like, of course there's generalities where it's like, okay, we need to have jaw stability. And that's kind of a basis for a lot of everything else going on, on the orofacial complex. However, like what we do first is not like a step one, step two, step three. Exactly. And I think that's also what makes it complex
1: for like therapists and well, especially yeah. new grads it's I was shocked with within pediatrics how much observation and hands off time mm-hmm. there is whether it's in an eval or a regular session yeah. you yeah. gotta look at that baby's active movement before you get your hands on them and there's so much more observation than I ever thought I would do like oh yeah your eyes have to be so quick to see it because that baby's probably not going to do it again
2: yeah
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, <laughs> My parents go like, are you going to go and Like I've had parents say to me like, okay, are we going to go in their mouth now? Cause it's like 40 minutes of the eval has passed. And like, we've been chatting, but like, I'm also like, like you said earlier, like let's, let's, I see some things that they probably didn't think to report. Like, let's talk about that or yeah. okay. They checked this box. If they, they wrote this on the, the intake, I want to, I want to like open-ended to let them elaborate because I think this has got some really good helpful information right here you know and so it's very conversational based and at the same time while we're we're talking we're doing the same thing we're observing the baby is that is the mind I like to see in the beginning too. like does the parent leave the baby in a carrier do yeah, they come yeah. wearing them like what does that like? I mean I'm not a PT but I feel like this is helpful information you know and that positioning yeah. that they're in a lot and parents will say is it okay if I take the baby out I don't like to leave them in the carrier I'm like yes please do like <laughs> please take them out of their car seat I would love right. for you to like hold them wear them, yeah, put them yeah. down on the floor whatever you want to do whatever they're happy with um but yeah it's you know thank you guys so much for sharing this because I think it's just it's a very fear-based approach, I think, to feel like, okay, I gotta know like this hierarchy and I got to get in the mouth and we got to do all these things and I have to make progress every session after that. And you know, it's like all these things that I think we're what conditioned maybe like through our graduate or you know doctoral programs, like we're kind of conditioned to approach therapy that way. And it's like we have to break that conditioning in ourselves in order to actually like work with these patients.
1: Yeah. And it starts in the academia programs, you know, like having been in academia, they teach to the board exams. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not much space or time to go through that, you know, and unless they have a really good clinical instructor out in the field, really hounding that doing this. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't get taught to these, these students, these new grads, you know? So I think to piggyback
2: on that though, too, as a new grad, and kind of what you were saying, you know, there's these people on social media that are saying, you know, all the, all these things now as a therapist in the last, you know, however many years when I've felt like, okay, I got this, I can do this. How, you know, I know a lot of things taken a lot of courses, but I still have aha moments where mm-hmm. it's nothing I learned in a course, mm-hmm. yep. I just trial and errored something by myself. And guess what? It I worked for experience. Yeah, clinical experience yeah Yeah, that's so I wanted to say you know that yes clinical that it's huge clinical experience is a huge piece of
0: it and And that is part of evidence-based practice for those who are not familiar with like what it is evidence-based practice is more than just research it's also the clinical experience and it's also the patient like that that especially in this case the caregiver and the infant, yeah, right. like their goals and what they want to work on is just that's also part of that whole yeah. right approach. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So I just wanted to speak to that. But yeah. you know, sometimes there's these aha moments where you're like, oh, I put this and this together and oh my gosh, look what this kid just did. Like I haven't done that before. And I'm learning every day. Yeah. I, you know, I'm I make
1: mistakes, you know, and I learn from yeah. my mistakes yeah. still always will. That's the great thing about our professions that we're learning every day, mm-hmm. you know, or like all learn at the same time as the parent, what kind of you have? What? like one day oh. I was doing some, you know, body work. And I was like, this is how your baby was inside of you, you know, and like all twisted up and like that. And she's like, well, it's funny you say that because when he nurses, he really tries to get into this position. I'm like, that's his position of ease. It doesn't surprise me that your baby's really smart and getting into the position that makes him feel nice and homey and gooey when he tries to feed so that everything else is relaxed and he can just work on his, you know, mouth. And she's like, oh. And I was like, oh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, and that's, again, like, I also talk about, like, we are lifelong learners. Like, none of us know everything. Like, my, I've, I've said since the beginning, like, I want anybody who comes through like therapy with us or, you know, one of my programs online, you know, one of my courses, certifications, yeah. whatever. I'm like, I want you to know more than me when you leave. I want you to feel like you have like surpassed me. Like, like I'm not doing my job if I haven't elevated you, if I haven't helped like you kind of get to the next level for yourself to then continue on your journey. And like, whether that's with me or somebody else, like that's, you know, that's what we should all be doing. And, and that was like this whole elevation movement thing that I created, you know, kind of by accident three and a half years ago, I guess it was where it was like, I'm just so tired. I was tired of of the gatekeeping in in like this space. I was tired of, I'm like, we're only hurting patients if we're not willing to help each other. And so like, what's the, what's the point? And I was also tired of going to classes and leaving and being like, ugh. Okay, I have ideas of like what to do next with like three kids on my caseload, but I don't know what to do after that, and I don't know what to do with like the other seventeen kids on my caseload. I was like, okay, what is happening? And so I just was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. Some like no more. Like we need to have something that speaks to like what what I wish I had as a new grad, so that I could, or even like later in my career, just so that like there's a jumping off point. There's something that makes me start to think critically. Like I was like, I feel like I'm leaving these courses, and I'm just like. I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do next. And it was more through like my clinical experience and talking with other colleagues who kind of helped me bounce ideas back and forth that I kind of started to go like, okay, yeah, let's try this with this kid. And like, I don't care if there's an article that supports that or not, because it's what works for this child. And that, in my opinion, is the best therapist can think critically Yes, and work with the child and kind of feel what's going on, and that takes experience too. So I always tell yeah. like our new grads, I'm like, breathe. It's gonna yeah. take time. For
2: yourself time, yeah. It's gonna
0: take yeah. time, and like you're gonna feel like you're probably gonna feel really uncomfortable in the beginning because you're gonna be like, I don't know what this feels like. But the more you get your hands on like more faces and bodies and everything, the more you'll start to understand. So like, just give yourself time. And there's no magic number. Some people after five babies are gonna be like, okay, I'm starting to feel it. And some people after like 25 babies are gonna be like, okay, I'm starting to feel it. Yeah. So, and I'm very hands-on. So like, for me, it's like a pretty quick, like I feel one versus the other. And I'm like, oh, all yeah. right. That yeah. one felt different than that one. I'm not sure what's going on yet, but they're not the same. Okay. Yeah. Let's figure this out. So that's where I try to like, just give everyone a little like glimmer of hope, especially like therapists that like so badly want to be in this space mm-hmm. to, you know, be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself and like, let yourself just work with the yeah. little ones that are in front of you and try to tap into like everything. Patients we talk are about. our
1: best teachers, you know?
2: Yeah. 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 And it's We're okay funny. to not have the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. And you but can but say I'm to parent, you know? <laughs> I yeah. will find someone that knows and get back to you, or I will do some research and yeah. get back to you as a new grad. I always felt like I had to have the answers. Yeah. And What if this yeah. parent asked me this question in an email yes. and I don't know, I'm going to look so bad and, yeah. you know, no. you you will never know everything. So if you don't know, you don't know. And a parent feels much better hearing you say that than coming up with some fluff, because you feel like you have to (laughs) say something, say something, fill the space. Um, but it does take time and it does, you know, it can leave you feeling uneasy, but yeah, saying no is okay. Like but
0: you're, and you're human, you're human. human. it's like, stay yeah. in integrity with yourself. Don't make something up if you don't know it. And like you said, the parent is going to be so much more preached. If you're like, you know, Hey, I don't know, but let me, let me connect with a colleague and I'll get back to you. I yeah. think the parent's going to be like, Oh my gosh, you're actually going to like go talk to somebody else to try and get me an answer yeah. versus like, just, you know, it's, they it's, may it's, believe what you tell them, whether it's true or not, unfortunately, but you know, that's where I just go back to like, just tap into like what you're feeling in the moment who's in front of you like and you nobody knows everything I don't know everything I know you guys don't know everything I know the educators that are like 30 plus years older than us that teach in the space don't know everything and you know I think that these are things that are not like being human is not discussed ever. So yeah. <laughs> just remember, it's okay to be human. And, We're and, you know, and one friends. of the things too, yeah. that like in the beginning, when I was working with, um, infants, I was straightforward with my patients because I was like, they're private paying. I want them to know that like, I really used to working with toddlers, but I've recently done a lot of education in the space. I'm collaborating with a lot of colleagues. We're doing some code treat type of things, you know, but at the same time, like I'm new to working with infants. And so I would tell parents straight up, like, I'm a feeding therapist, but my, my expertise really has been 12 months. Plus I'm newer to working with infants and I'm here for you and I'm, we're going to work through this together, but I just want you to know that. And, yeah. you know, and I think when you kind of lay it out on the table and you're honest, you know, yeah. even being like, I'm a new grad, but I'm here and I want to help you. I want to help you and your child do this. Like, let's work together. I think that goes so much further than being like, you know, trying to hide that this, that you're new to this space. Cause they're going to sense that yeah. something is off with your energy. And I know this goes like a little too woo for some people, but like energetically yeah. people yeah. are going to sense like yeah. the nervous systems talk, you know, to each other. They're going to sense that just like a parent and infant, you know, their nervous systems talk to more than the kids well. sense like,
2: that too. Yeah. You know?
0: Everyone senses it and nothing goes well right. when we're all kind <laughs> of like, you know, hiding behind masks. So it's like, let's, you know, let's really like kind of take the mask real. off, like just yeah. be real, be human. Yeah. And I think parents again are, so appreciative that you know, once in a while you'll get a parent who's like, no, you know what? I want someone who has like 10 years yeah. of experience. But that's not yeah. the right patient for you, anyways. Yeah. Yep. So they're gonna probably drive fine. you like <laughs> So which is fine. Let fine. them go somewhere else, you know? But it's like, yeah, I just I, I love the humanizing part mm-hmm. of the whole process because that unfortunately I think is the biggest piece that's missing in today's current medical model, yeah, yeah. insurance-based medical model, I should say. Yes. Um, so yeah. So is there anything else that like we haven't discussed that you guys wanted to add? I don't think, think so.
1: so. All right, well then, tell us where they can find you. Um, well, we both are somewhat active on our Instagrams, not a ton. Um,
2: I'm not so much. Yeah, <laughs> <I
1: hope they're laughs> we both. still have good content on there. Yeah. <laughs> we have good content on there. So, uh, mine is Moving Munchkins on Instagram,
2: and mine is Food Is Fun Let's Eat on Instagram. Um, and we both work out of Love Strong Wellness, which is a center in North County, San Diego. Um, we also both work out of little star Breathe, which is a pediatric dental office with Dr. Hanenbosch in Carmel Valley, San Diego. Um, so yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll also make sure that we have that linked below the episode. So they know how to reach you. They, they want, uh, they live out there because I think everybody who does should probably come see you guys. Um, (laughs) but thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun. I know we could just talk for hours and hours. (laughs) It was
1: fun. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. I appreciate appreciate being here talking and we'll we'll talk again, I'm sure.
0: All right. That was an amazing episode. I absolutely loved this. And we have some fun stuff coming down the pike. So keep your eyes peeled. For now, go to feedthepeds.com backslash training if you want to participate in this week's free training and get five hours on a certificate plus an opportunity to enter into a full scholarship to Feed the Peds. And then join us when the course opens doors on August 28th, 2023 at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Doors will only be open for five days, closing on September 1st at midnight Eastern Time. So be sure to join us for the free five-day training and put yourself on the wait waitlist if you are not already on there. Cannot wait to see you all inside. This is the last time we are teaching this this year. Let's go! Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you found value in this episode and want to hear more of these MyoTots Airway and Feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode on your social media platforms. You can access free resources and all I offer at HallieBalkin.com or pop over to at hollybalkin on Instagram to get all the latest updates.